We are back for another week of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. Hello, you're listening to the Coger Center Arts Roundup, and this week we have a very special guest. Um, Paul Graham is with us. Paul is a professor here on campus in the Sport and Entertainment Management uh, major and uh, USC alum like myself. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So, Paul, um, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Um, you, how long have you been back on campus teaching? Uh, about 12 years. Um, Frank Roach, who ran the department along with Tom Regan, um, called me to lunch one day. I knew Frank just from the industry, um, but didn't know either one of them personally. And I almost had flashbacks thinking I was in trouble or they were going to tell me I didn't graduate or something. But we actually had lunch together and they asked me if I would be interested in being added as a, as an adjunct faculty for, uh, sport and entertainment. And, uh, my initial reaction was kind of, uh, uh, not real, like I didn't really think too positively about it. It was like I didn't really see myself as a professor. Um, but actually, I came home and talked to my wife about it, and she's like, you're crazy, you'd be great as a professor, you should go do it. And I think a lot of the hesitation is just because I, when I was in college, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do, which I think is a, a pretty <laughs> common with students, um, which I didn't think that. You happen to have studied what it is you do. Um, like, for instance, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do either, but I studied chemistry. And now, oh, wow. I, now I run the Coger Center for the Arts. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you got a degree in sport and entertainment management. Well, actually, right? my original degree was in English. Oh, okay. In 1989. Uh, you graduated so, with an English major. Yeah. yeah you I didn't actually know what you wanted to didn't do. know what I wanted to do. So part of that, you know, when they did ask me to come and work, um, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, the great shakes as a student, just be, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but uh, I tell you, it's been the best decision I've made in a long time. Um, and um, I went and got my master's in 2017, which I wouldn't advise anybody to do at 50 years old. But uh, it's been great. I, it's so fulfilling working with the students and, um, you know, especially in, the, in a field in which I can give them real life experience. Now, do you feel that you got better at what you do when you became a professor? Yeah, actually, um, on the music end of things, um, I've managed bands, I've tour managed bands, I've uh, produced shows. I, on that end, I I do a lot more studying now, you know, so I check out trends and how the music business is going. So I have way more information on music publishing or record deals or what I did even as a manager, um, which I was like, man, I really kicked myself for not knowing this stuff when I was actually managing. It was... A, more along the lines of like, hey, l just go and go do it. You know, you didn't really think about it too much. You just did it. So you got into this business of uh, management, event management, uh, entertainment management. Um, how? W what's your story for how you, as an English major, graduating from the University of South Carolina in 1989, found yourself working in this field? Um, well, we have a couple minutes. So <laughs> um, I actually went and uh, I taught grade school when I first came out of college. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I kind of thought giving something back is, is kind of what I wanted to do instead of going and bartending somewhere until I figured it out. Um, and after that, um, I ended up moving back to Columbia um, after three years of teaching grade school in different states. And uh, when I came back to Columbia, I, I really had 
you know, was kind of lost and not not in a really negative way, just didn't, you know, really put, hey, I'm going to go find my career. And um, I actually lived with a guy who was in a band and uh, along with four other people. And, you know, he had been on tour that weekend or did shows all weekend. And he came down and I was playing video games or something. And he's like, hey, man, can you go out on the road with us for the next couple of weeks? I was talking to the guys about it and, uh, you know we'd like you to come out and be our road manager for a couple of weeks. And I was like, sure, I'm, I got nothing else going did you on. Have any experience? None, doing that? none at all. Did you even know what he meant when he said road manager? Yeah, yeah, I had an idea. Um, and to be honest with you, th- really the first part of figuring out what I was doing, I realized right pretty quickly that I knew what I was doing. Like I knew it, it, came, it came on me pretty quickly um, where it's like I understood – you know, it was a lot of common sense. It was a lot of like, let's get organized. Let's be in a place at a certain time. Um, let's get them together. Um, and uh, our first show was actually uh, in Nashville, Tennessee at the Exit Inn. Uh, uh, the band was hooting the blowfish, so I can just kind of cut to that part. But, you know, there were three people in, at, at the Exit Inn. Um, right. This is before they had even re- like released Coochie Pop. Is that Co- right? This is well, the, it was right in the midst, right before Coochie Pop. Okay. Um, and then, which was, by the way, if you're listening and you don't know the history of Hootie and the Blowfish, that was their, I guess, self-produced first album. Correct. Correct. That's the first real demo that they that really found success for them. They did a couple of tapes prior to that, but that really, really is where it, where it landed them in some sort of. Uh, it was you know, it was on sale in local record stores here correct, in Columbia. Correct. Correct. So un- unlike what they had done previously. So correct. Correct. Step one. Right. Right. And um, so. The lot, you know, they did. They had more success than the other shows I did. But you know, back in those days, you kind of played an original set where you played your original music, and then you would go do like a fraternity party because that would help pay the bills. Um, and is the fraternity party like covers? Yeah, that's more. That's a majority of covers, and then a few originals thrown in. And the opposite would be done at the show, like the Exit Inn. And on the way home on that Sunday, uh, it's. Um, Darius and I are driving. He's in the front seat. Everybody's passed out in the back. And he's like, hey, you can do this as long as you want. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, didn't really think about it much. And then, you know, five years later, I came off the road with them. And so it was just the four of you. I mean, the five of you, y- you and the four members of the band. And, a, and our sound man, and Billy. sound man. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're, sound, they're, they're, it was really cool because it, like, Billy's job was he helped them to load in and load out, but his job was to make the band sound good. So they knew from the beginning they wanted to make sure. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that you would go into different rooms and the guy who was running the board either didn't give care about the room at all or care about the band or they uh, just weren't experienced enough and they wanted to make sure that they sounded good every night. Yes. It, it's a tough life when you, uh, you know, mix multiple shows a day. Yes, um, very you know, much. To, to muster a, you know, care, a give a damn about, uh, you know, what's coming on for that 90 minutes is hard. So it, the solution is to bring people with you. Correct, correct. And Billy actually is still their sound man today and still Darius's front of house engineer. So it's, uh, you know, he's one of my oldest friends in the world and... Um, you know, those days of being in a van and driving around the country or with a trailer on the back, I'll, you know, I'll never forget them. And so you s- learned how to do this um, just on the fly by uh, through the through doing it. You learned the right and the wrong way to do things, what needed to be done just by looking at the situation and figuring it out for yourself. Or did you have a mentor, somebody who 
You did the band layout, sort of a set of rules of this is what we need you to do, or do you know somebody in the business who gave you advice? Uh, not really anybody in the business. I, I, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. Um, I thought from the very, very beginning, it's like if I don't know something, I'm just going to ask because I'd rather not, um, you know, pay for it later on. You know, I mean, I remember doing a show in Raleigh uh, with a band. It was a successful night, but when we were settling the show, there was like a tax issue where he was taxing twice on something, you know, and, it, and it's common where you have a, a state tax and then you have some sort of income tax and you have some sort of county tax that that's, uh, might just apply to that particular city. And I remember at midnight or whatever time it was, I called our booking agent and I said, dude, I just don't understand. Like, I, I don't see where these, ta- I think we're being taxed twice. And, and literally it was like 50 bucks, you know? Um, but I also knew that, if the 50 bucks is missing there, you know, where else are we getting, you know, so I just wasn't afraid to ask questions. And I think one of my strengths is that I have, um, you know, I tell, I teach in my classes that a lot of with managers and the same thing kind of with tour managers, it's like, uh, you know, you've got a lot, you got a lot of strengths, you know, it's like, you're the master of none of them, you know, but you're strong in, in, in a lot of different qualities. And, And one of those, as I said before, is a lot of common sense. Yeah, I think that uh, once you realize that, um, you, once you get over the fear of looking foolish because you don't know something, uh, that's really when your career can take off, is that you start to say, I'm just going to ask. Yeah. And I don't, I don't care if they think, oh, you don't know that? Because after they tell it to you, you'll know it for next time. Yeah, I mean, that's correct. How you, that's how you get better. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So you you manage them, uh, touring with them, would you say four or five years? Yep, Yeah. And then uh, what was your transition between there and, uh, you know, coming back to the university as this adjunct professor? W- w- you continued to manage other bands along well, the way? Well, when I first started um, tour managing them, you know, I ended up becoming an employee of the band. Um, as we went out and the band started having incredible success from, you know, you have to remember really thinking about it. I mean, we played a little club, uh, this great club in, in New York that was maybe... 600 people um, called the wetlands and we had it sold out there was people up and down the street we uh, you know we had it was an incredible room and we went from there playing there in the winter and then the following summer we we're selling out two nights at Jones Beach which is 16,000 so that's our comparison so it went so quickly um, and took off so quickly where you know I, I remember times when I was like you know, we don't have enough people out here. Like, I remember, like, cussing out our manager and being like, dude, we got to figure this thing out. I mean, we prepared for it, but you didn't, you didn't, I mean, it was just huge. Um, and when we went, we did some international touring. Um, and to be honest with you, I, you know, I didn't have a place, I didn't live in, like, I didn't have a place to live for two years. Um, and that's not like this sad sack story. It was just basically because I didn't need a place. I was on the road all the time. I would come and crash on a couch. Um, and, you know, when I came, like when I was out on the road for, I remember our last run out on the road, I was, I was shot, you know, and I recognized the fact I was shot. I knew it was affecting my job. I think the band and the crew ultimately knew it was affecting my job and we all have a lot of love for each other. So it wasn't like this huge negative thing. It was more like, all right, I gotta, I gotta come. And I admitted it. I was like, I gotta, I'm, I'm not as strong as I once was, you know? So uh, they kind of wanted to keep me around and figuring out, and I figured just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, once again, you know, we're 
Darius and I are driving out to go play golf somewhere, <laughs> which we did a lot of. And he's like, dude, do you want to, you know, we think we're going to have you run our golf tournament. And I was like, they had some meetings and they were talking about what their future was going to be. And I was like, all right, well, once again, I was, didn't know how to be a tour manager, I, I guess. And he's like, dude, you'd be perfect at it. You know, golf and music and that's your two favorite things. And uh, so I started running their golf tournament. And, and in that, I, I established my own company. And then when I established my own company, I started managing bands on my own along with running the golf tournament and uh, did a few other things. Managing from an office, not going out on the road with them. Correct. Yeah. So not being a tour manager, but being an actual manager of a band. So I'm assuming Hooting the Blowfish had an agent and a, and a manager, you know, management firm or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, back in an office somewhere. Did When did they sort of pick up that level of support along the way? Because um, for a while there, was it just the six of you? and Or did they have, a, you know, somebody trying to represent them, get them gigs? Uh, or were they, you know, were you, were you all booking yourselves? Well, when I came in, they actually had a manager and an agent. Okay. Um, their manager was a young dude from NC State um, who came in and took a risk and, and uh, did some great things for the band. Um, and then their booking agent was a good young agent out of, uh, out of Atlanta. Um, who with, got with who's firm, still Yeah, with a firm. It, well, actually, he had his own company called Metro Talent Group, a guy named Cass Scripps. Uh, and he's an agent still. Um, and... You know, so when I stepped in, those are the two guys who were basically, Cass wasn't really my boss, but he was like, you know, I really, he was he was a mentor for me in terms of like on the road and what to look for. And Rusty Harmon, who was their manager, was, you know, my boss, who I had to basically, you know, I, I basically listened to the band, but Rusty was our, you know, was the manager. Uh, they had a very unique relationship, actually. It's very unusual where the band and Rusty were actually partners in their own management company and their own, you know, the L entity, which would be, you know, hooting the blowfish. That was they were all partners, as opposed to him having a separate company. And do they manage other bands? Like, is he still managing bands? He currently is managing bands now, but he didn't manage anything else other, other than, than hooting the blowfish at the time. So when you um, so you came off the road, which uh, is healthier. Uh, yes. <laughs> and you started managing the golf tournament, and then you started managing other bands. Uh, how many bands would you manage? Actually, um, I picked up about three was the maximum. Um, one was full-time, you know, the expectations of a f- managing a full-time band, um, running a golf tournament, and then working with some other acts. And then I would pick up other jobs here and there, which still relate back to my job now, Um I'm really good, and part of, I think, what makes me good in my job with the university is that I'm good at putting people together. Um, so I'm good at helping students find, you know, jobs or finding uh, internships or find, or just giving them advice, and maybe you should try this out or try that out. And so I had a lot of people, once I got involved more in the golf space, where a lot of golf tournaments would, like, contact me and say, hey, we're trying to do some music here. How do we do it, you know? And they knew that I knew how to do both, so that was very, very helpful to them, um, and something I really dug doing. And that's what I currently do now. Um, and you know, managing bands for me at the time, um, I put a lot of heart and soul into that golf tournament. Um, and if I didn't have that, so you know, for those young and upcoming managers out there who want to go manage bands, 
you know, if I didn't have that, if I didn't have a job, you know, of this golf tournament thing, I could never do the management part, you know, because you might, you might make some money off of a band, you know, when they're first starting out, but they're barely making any money and you taking a commission feels like, you know, gross, you know, <laughs> so... Uh, when when you as the manager are making more than the band. Right, right. Or if they're making anything. So it's like, you know, so by the time it felt like I managed this band that I loved, like I heard a, heard a demo from them. I was like, dude, this is so good. Their singer had, was so good. Their their rhythm section was really tight. Their harmonies were really good. They had an outrageously good guitar player who I actually went to high school with. Um, and I actually got the music from a drummer who actually tour managed with an old band, uh, some friends of ours, Dylan Fence. And I was like, dude, this is really good. And this kid's like working for AOL at the time. Uh, Mark, who was the guitar player, was, uh, you know, doing studio work. And they were just trying to figure out. And I was like, dude, let's go do it. You know, let's go give it a shot. And, uh, you know, we really went for it. The problem was because of the subjectivity of music and because it's such a, you know, it falls on such trends, um, the band itself was late 20s, early 30s, and at that time we started getting these boy bands in. And because it follow music follows these trends, they, they just got lost in the shuffle. So the band ended up we you know we didn't get the success that we wanted, um, and you know it kind of just fell apart. And I just kind of stopped managing bands at that point because it was like I just don't feel like know if I feel like doing this. And that's where actually where I picked up. Um, I actually started picking up managing golfers because golfers came to me and said, hey, we think you'd be good at managing golfers. I was like, okay, I'll try that too. You know, I've never done that before. Um, and, and is this through Empire Sports Management? This is actually through my own company at the time, which okay. was, you know, cleverly enough, PTG Incorporated, which is my initials. So um, I I managed professional golfers. And uh, after about a year or two, I was like, I don't really like this. You know, I, I, I didn't feel like uh, – I just didn't like the way it was going down, and I didn't, really didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. And once again, I was spending a lot of time on that golf tournament. And what what does it mean to manage a professional golfer? So, uh, a man, a, in all different levels, you can have a you can you can do different things for a professional golfer that they'll care about. Ultimately, an agent for a professional go golfer gets paid on everything off the golf course. So if Tiger Woods goes and wins a tournament, makes two million bucks, his agent's not getting any of that money. His agent's getting the money on the deals for appearances and Nike deals, um, and any other branding opportunities he has. Now, obviously, Tiger Woods is an easy example because he's one of the you know most successful you know brand ambassadors ever. Um, but the smaller ones, you know, you have to really actively go out and find deals. And and I brought a lot of my music management skills into the golf world. And I think that's what made me good at being a golf manager. It probably also made me bad at being a golf manager <laughs> because I was I was like cultivating and helping and you know uh, compassionate towards these towards the golfers and and I really felt like maybe I would help them you know grow as 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 uh, as professional golfers and as men you know I I, I kind of help like cultivate their careers and their and their personal life. So, uh, but there's a difference between being their agent and negotiating, uh, you know, endorsement deals and then being their manager. Is that right? In golf, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Okay. In golf, so uh, I've been position. called a manager or called an agent. It's okay. a, it's an interesting conversation too. You know, in music, the manager oversees everything. And one of those people is a booking agent, uh, who they would naturally call their agent. Um, you know, I've, 
it's it's funny because when I would have phone calls and and mention that I represent uh, you know one of my clients, uh, and they're like, "Oh, you're an agent." I was like, "Yeah." I mean, you can feel on the other line. You know, they feel like gross talking to you, or they feel like you know they're uneasy. You know, so I have to put them at ease immediately and say, "Listen, this this is not going to be difficult. I'm not going to try to beat you up. Let's just discuss it and and figure it out." And um, you know, once again, then when I joke about saying that kind of made me bad about it was the fact that I, um, I just approached it in a very practical way for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't believe in this big, like, hey, if I, my client wanted to get $10,000 a day for an appearance to go to a tournament, you know, I didn't believe in going there and asking for 30, trying to get down to 10. I believed in that's what we should discuss. And, um, you know, it's just kind of a, it's more of a personal management approach than it is like a, a cutthroat agent approach. And then you you stopped managing professional golfers, but through all of this, you carried on uh, this running this tournament, which is what the Monday after the Masters. Is Actually, did both concurrently, right. and I still do. And and so the golf tournament that you were you, that we're talking about that you ran and currently run for Hootie and Blowfish is the Monday after the Masters. That's correct. Event. That's correct. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I still do represent professional golfers. Oh, and you still do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're still doing both. Yeah, yeah, still doing both. Uh, we do other events. Our company does other events too. And um, the golf part, um, I have one client who's more of a television personality, kind of a golf personality, golf analyst. Uh, but besides that, you know, they're all, you know, the clients that I do have are that are professional golfers. You know, that's what they do for a living is go play golf. And uh, so at some point in time through all of this, you... Um you joined the uh, HRSM, the College of uh, what is it, Sport Hospitality mm-hmm. Management, um, and uh, and then you it's recently became full time. So you did you start as an adjunct in the yeah kitchen? started as an adjunct and and to back up just for a second um, when I was doing things on my own uh, like when I was running that golf turn on my own it was like you're alone on an island and this thing started to take off. And even as the band was taking their time to do their own thing, um, I, I still was kind of doing it alone and I recognized the fact that I needed help. So, um, you know, long story short, I ended up meeting a, a guy who had recently moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, and he had partnered with a, uh, attorney businessman down in, down in Charleston. And, um, we partnered up to, to, and I started, and that's when I joined Empire Sports. So, our company as a whole, we do events throughout the country, um, including the Hootie event. But we do one for Russell Wilson and the band Need to Breathe, and we do one for Denny Hamlin, the race car driver, and Mark Bryan do one together. And then we do other events throughout the country, um, along with having a representation business. But part of all that sphere, and going back to your question about the sport and entertainment world uh, and the de- the department. Um, Having all that experience, you know, I don't teach any classes on event management, and that's what I—that's pretty much what I do all the time. You know, I don't teach anything on athlete representation or anything like that. But um, the our department is so incredibly strong. Um, I, like I said before, I love working there. Or the faculty we have is amazing. Or, or you know, just it, just the fact that you have different and you look at people's history um, and. You know, one thing when they, after I got, you know, it was kind of cool because when I got a, I got an email from a student who basically said, hey, everybody's had that guy in their life and who changed their life and who made them who they are. And for me, that was you. And I was like basically crying on the other end, you know. 
and I shared it with my boss at the time, and uh, and I basically said, "Listen, I'm not trying to, I'm not sharing this because I'm trying to get some, you know, <laughs> accolades. I'm just saying this is why we do what we do." And at that point, they're like, "Well, you should go get your master's." And uh, I said, "Okay." So I go went. I've never gotten my master's before, <laughs> so I went and got my master's, and uh, um, you know, quick, pretty quickly after that, they asked me if I could come on on a more full time basis. Um, and and with that being said, as we we talked about before, I I'm still able to continue on doing the golf tournament and doing the other things that I do, and it just takes up more of my time. But um, you know, the being able to share real life experiences in a classroom is exactly what I want to do, and that's you know the fact that I can tell stories that are real and not just like hey I heard about a guy who did this and it's actually things I actually did. Um, you know, it's just I think that's why it's so satisfying for me. So as a undergraduate here at the University of South Carolina studying English, um, th- those years that you were here as an undergrad, what did you learn that you took with you to get into this business? I mean, I know that English seems like a degree that maybe doesn't have any relevance, but I always feel like there are things you learn either from your professors um, you know, outside of the classroom or they'll say something particularly poignant in the classroom that transcends the subject matter at hand um is there anything that you feel like you would share with people like this is something that i got out of my undergrad that helped me launch this career um i think on the on the academic side um there was less for for me um i think i came into college uh emotionally immature um i didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really know what I wanted to do even after being in school for a while. Um, and what what college did for me, in particular, in particular the University of South Carolina, it helped me develop as a person. Um, it really gave me a sense of belonging, you know, and sense of like, you know, the the school always felt and still does now, even being a faculty member that there's this a sense of inclusion, like it, it, it feels like there's a lot of love around. And, um, you know, I just always love that about the school, you know, and I love that about Columbia, which I didn't know when I was younger. I just thought of, Col- I never thought of Columbia ever. I thought that, you never, you know, I'm in school at, at South Carolina and that's all I really knew. But now that I live in Columbia and I've been in Columbia forever and, and will stay in Columbia, um, you know, I just felt like it, it, it really developed me into the person that I am. And I think the college part of it was was uh, the part of the college thing that really made me, uh, you know, maybe develop me into who I am is is to give me an understanding of responsibility. You know, um, when it really came down to it, even though I wasn't this great shakes of student of a student, um, I realized it didn't have anything to do with my intelligence. It had more to do with my, you know, uh, understanding of who I wanted to be. You know. Um, so for college, it was more of a growing up period for me than it was this academic enrichment, um, which I think it, it may be the case for other students, I don't, I don't, other people. I don't know. Um, and did you meet uh, the gentleman in Hootie and the Blowfish while you were in college? Is that how you met them, or did you meet them after you graduated? The way I explain it to my students, it's like I tell them to think about who their best friends are, and... Then I say, you know, just think about your best friends go along and they sell 20 million records. I mean, that's the only way I can really do it. I mean, Darius and I 
met my first two weeks of school. Um, he had, he was not even, didn't even know anybody in the band at that time. Um, and Sony and I were good friends because I was friends with all the soccer players. I ran track here and, um, all my, like all my friends were on the, on the soccer team. So he and I met through that, which was totally different. He wasn't even in Hootie at the time and he wasn't even considered a drummer, you know, at the time. Um, and then a girlfriend of mine actually was, uh, started dating this guitar player and she's like, Hey, they're playing up at Pappy's, you know, which is pretty close to here. Right. And, uh, she said, this band's going up there, my friend. And I remember I had a broken leg and I was on a cast, um, which ended my track career. But, uh, we came up and I talked to, uh, Mark and Dean after the show and we grew up 15 minutes from each other. We had a ton in, ton in common and, um, that summer, uh, Mark and I spent a ton of time together. I became friends with his high school friends. Like it just clicked. Like we just became friends without having any idea that any of this stuff was going down. You know, I really, to be honest with you, when we first saw him and not that I'm some big music critic or, you know, aficionado, but I really didn't think they were that great when I saw him the first time. And I'll tell you the only reason was it had nothing to do with their ability, nothing to do with their ability. Um, it was because everybody had, was in college and they had 500 beers and they were just, you know, so like the musicality wasn't, the creativity was there and all that stuff and the intent, but, and the show was great. Like, you know, they did a song and then the drummer came out and took a cello and played Eleanor Rigby. And I was like, that's so, like, that was cool as hell, you know? And I loved the night. I loved it. And it wasn't like, I was like, man, that band's the greatest freaking musicians I've ever seen but that wasn't the point you know there's no intent of that you know how they have to watch your friends go out you know and I get chills kind of thinking about it, but watch your friends go out and succeed and get Grammy Awards and get you know recognized and then you know 25 years later get recognized again you know um, they're they're they are at and here's another thing here's a as musicians they're so they're even better now than they were at their heyday, like as musicians. It's like well, they're continuing they, to grow. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, you know, because you know you know like as athletes get older, their skills diminish, but their skills are. I mean, they're so they're tight. They they don't miss things. They, you know, even through all the jumping around or whatever else they're doing, it's like just I'm just so happy for them, you know. So, so. you. But ultimately, uh, what I'm hearing as an outsider is is that you you found this the people that you worked with in college here at the university. Yeah, we were just friends, and I mean, you literally, you established a relationship. You got along. You, they wouldn't have surely they wouldn't have asked you to come out as a tour manager had you not established a sense of trust and a relationship with them, and you'd seen them from the beginning. I mean, th there was something in you as a result of you knowing them in school and. Um, that made it make sense for them to ask you to go, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think 100%. I, I, I've never even asked them, why did you ask me to come be your tour manager? Was I just the only dude around, you know? But when we came they off— They asked seven other people when they settled on <laughs> you? was the last one. And when we came off, and four days later, Darius says that to me, you know, and the band reiterates it later. I'm like, wow, that was—you know, so I just—it just happened. You know what I mean? And I try to explain that— like for my students, it's like 
don't be afraid to take chances. You know, they're they're like they talk about decisions all the time. Oh my God, am I going to make the, a bad decision? I'm like, you don't have any good or bad decisions. You just have decisions. It's not good or bad until after you've already experienced it. So when I, since I was willing to take risk, and I will tell you this, because I love them, I would not allow things to fall through the cracks. And when it did, when I felt like things were somewhat falling through the cracks on certain, like when I was saying about my, my interest in my job of being a tour manager, I called it out and said, dude, I, you know, I'm just not sure this is for me, you know? And, um, you know, the fact that they believed in me and gave me opportunities, um, I, I'll always thank them for that and always love them for that. I, I, I have to give myself some credit on the fact that, um, I worked my ass off and continue to, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, my upbringing is I just, I, I can't, like, I can't let things just fall through the cracks. Like, I can't, I just won't allow it to happen. You know, no matter what's going to go down, I got to make sure that it follow through, you know? It's interesting to hear you say that because uh, at the Coker Center, we have a lot of interns. Uh, many of them come through the Sport and Entertainment Management uh, internship program. It's good uh, to hear. And uh, the thing that I always try to explain to people is the number one thing I'm looking for is give a damn. Um, which is hard to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I often feel like if you are willing to turn up on time and uh, and are willing to learn, then I don't need you to have any sort of background in what we do because we can explain everything you ever need to know. But I can't teach somebody to turn up on time and I can't teach them to, like, care. Right. Um, so if you really care and you really try um, and, you, and you strive to learn and strive to get better then like there that's the recipe for success um that and knowing what you want to do yeah which is yeah the other thing that i can't teach right right because i spent years trying to figure that out myself right right yeah and i and i tell you know my, listen my daughter's a senior she wants in high school she wants to come to south carolina and she wants to get into sport and entertainment we don't know why my wife works for live nation and i do what i do but uh you know i tell her now i'm like listen learn it you know I have certain limitations in my ability for my job. Like, I can't run a front of house board. Like, I can't run a soundboard. I can't run monitors. I know enough to be dangerous and tell you exactly how all those things work. But my strength is just organizing that whole group of people to get to where they need to do to get their job done. And I also know how to deal with artists. I know, I know what they want, you know, and I know what they need, um, you know. I don't think it's a big deal when an artist comes in town and says, uh, at the Coger Center, if they say, "Listen, we want—I don't want anything but white furniture in the back back dressing room. I want these. I want that." I don't really think that's a big deal, and the reason I don't think it's a big deal is because I'm not going out there in front of two, three, twenty thousand people and trying to perform. You know, they—they have a huge responsibility, and most of them understand it. You know, ego in that sense is a very positive word. Um, and if they want it and that's what's going to get them successful to be able to go out on stage and perform, just give it to them, you know, to an extent. But at the same time, you know, the, the reasonable requests or uh, things that may even things that may look like, wow, that's such a rock star move are, are unless you've been in it, you really don't understand, you know, that that's just something that helps them become better musicians, you know, uh, and 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 
you know, all I really care about is that they can perform and do their job. That's that's my ultimate goal is to make sure that they can go out and be the best professional golfer they can be or the best musician they can be or do the best job they can do. Uh, the one thing that I'm going to call back is that you talked about uh, being out on tour and for, say, a two-year period of time, you didn't have a place to live because you didn't need one. That's part of the life I think people don't quite understand is – you know, touring, you you might be on the road 300 plus days a year. I mean, that, that, even if you're not getting up on stage and putting your soul out in front of an audience, just the grueling nature of getting up and getting from point A to point B and turning up at a place at the right time is, is a ton of work. And then on top of it, people expect you to give them magic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and that's the thing too. It's like, as I said, I don't have to go on stage, you know, those guys do. So I'm, I'm really willing, uh, to go above and beyond to make sure that they can go out on stage. You know, um, I went on the road with them, uh, for a week during this wonderful group therapy tour. Um, and we went out and we played golf and then we'd come back, they do sound check and they do the show and then we go out and then, and it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's not the 25-year-old selves going out, you know. Um, and we would go do sound check, And then, we, you know, we went and played, they played Madison Square Garden. So it's like, you know, so you go out in Madison Square Garden. And I'm like, I called my wife on whatever day it was. And I was like, I'm exhausted. You know, it's like, and I'm not doing anything, you know. But to watch, uh, I remember in particular, Darius and I were playing, and we played a, a beautiful golf course, and we had to walk, you know. And we had, they did a show the night before. We drove the bus up to the golf course, and uh, we, you know, uh, we played the round of golf with these. It's an incredible place, um, and but they had no carts, and everybody walks. And I remember we were taking the turn, and Darius was playing in the group in front of me, and I remember watching him go up and just being like, "Man, I feel like going and carrying him," you know, because he's got to go do this, and then he's got to go back down, then he's got to go do you know, whatever he has to meet and greet obligations and then smile and all this stuff and having to walk a full, you know, I mean, I know it's like, woe is me playing golf or whatever, but you know, it's tiring, especially when you're, you know, 50 some odd years old. It's like, it's like taxing, you know, it's a, it's a big deal being on the road. And, and I remember it like when I got on the bus, I was like, oh yeah, it feels good. But then when it was come down four days into the trip, I was like, uh, honey, I'm ready to be home. So do you, uh, as a professor teaching uh, future, uh, you know, managers of tomorrow, um, are you, you're in the unique position, I assume, to sort of tell them the things you wish somebody had told you before you got started. Do you, do you sort of spill the secrets and say, you know, this is what I wish I knew when I was getting into the business? Yes. Yeah. Probably. Um, I probably share a lot more than people would expect that I would share, um, but. You know, I feel like showing my own insecurities within my job, showing the good and bad of my job. Um, I mean, I think from talking to students, that's what they I think they love the most about is the fact that I've done it, you know, or that that, uh, you know, I can share stories that are real. Um, and I do. You know, I, I share the story of leaving Mark in a hotel and. Ohio while we're going on to our next gig because when I checked the bunk I swore that he was in his bunk and I was too tired to go really pull the curtain back and it was his bags that I was touching and not him 
uh, you know, and the fact I didn't get fired for that, I'll thank them. <laughs> I thank them for that that all the time. But I mean, I share stories like because that's that's something that could actually happen. You how, know? how many miles did you drive before you figured out he wasn't there? Man, we had one cell phone, one, and I was in charge of it. Okay, so I have all these guys who are working for me. You know, I mean, I'm working for them, and I have one phone. So when they needed the phone, they had to ask me for the phone. And our manager calls me up. He's like, hey, can I talk to Mark? And I pulled the curtain back. It's a couple hours into the trip. And I was like, I got to call you back. <laughs> <laughs> and when I talked to Mark about it, you know, we got him a rental car, and he drove on to the next gig, and it was all fine. He said, to be honest with you, it was good to be away from you guys for a while. I got to play all my own music and didn't have to talk to anybody. So he was a good sport about it, and I love him for that. I, I the the similar story I have from being on the tour uh, on the road on tour is I, I managed a theater company on tour. It's a slightly different beast, but yeah, uh, the intern come out to meet me to get in the cargo van to drive the van to set do the setup, um, and uh, I looked him in the eye and said, "Did you leave the keys to the fifteen passenger van at the front desk?" And he said, "Yes, I did." And then we drove for four hours, and he got out and pulled them out of his pocket and went, "Oh." I Oops. didn't. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and you just think to yourself, huh, how are we going to get out of this one? <laughs> so what did you do? Well, we, we, we rented two, car, two cars, and the cast drove in the two cars instead of the 15-passenger van. And then at, you know, one in the morning when uh, we loaded out and everyone went to the hotel to go to sleep, we got in the two rental cars and drove four hours back and got the 15 passenger van and drove four hours back and got in in time to load everyone into the van to drive four hours to the next gig. Oh, my gosh. Wow. What a story. Unbelievable. <laughs> because that, we, what else were you going to do? Like, Okay. What was your reaction to the intern? Uh, you know, you sometimes you just have to suck it up and say, okay, so I need you to get on the phone and find rental cars and I'm going to go do this and we're going to solve the problem and because it doesn't do me any good to yell at you because because <laughs> in 25 minutes they're all going to come down to the front desk to get in the car and it's not they won't be able to so we've got 25 minutes to tell them what's going to happen I'm so happy to hear you say that because I teach that in my class where they're I share with them some serious things that happen like big time things that could have been big mistakes I just did it yesterday in one of my classes and one of the things you have to do in that position is you have to solve the problem. Like, let's worry about whose fault it was. We have to solve the problem because we all we have to do is just complete this task, right? So right. if the task gets a bump in the road there, we got to make sure that we fix it quick. Uh, that's impressive. Y yes. You know, getting upset doesn't help you solve the task. Correct. Right? You've got to fix the problem. You can get upset later. Mm -hmm. um, but... That's great to hear you say that. Right, right now, you just have to fix the problem, and <laughs> right. there's a, <laughs> a limited amount of time to fix it. Right, right. So, yes, we all, and somehow, no one got fired, and we're all still friends. Right. And that kid never loses <laughs> his keys, never. <laughs> I'd like to think that he never loses his keys. Yeah, yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, our, our guest today on the Coker Center Arts Roundup has been Paul Graham. Paul is a professor at the University of South Carolina, works for Empire Sports Management, former tour manager of T Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, Paul, do you have any parting words you'd like to leave us with? Uh, any advice for uh, aspiring uh, you know, managing, you know, students or, or people out there who are managing bands that you'd like to leave them with? My advice for school, which I tell every one of my students in college in particular, is go to class no matter what. Go to class. I don't think there's a single person who ever went to every class, as many as they could, and failed out of college. There's no possible way. 
The second thing I would tell you as far as management is concerned is just make sure that you're aware of what you're getting into and don't be afraid to take chances. Um, and it, and within those chances, understand, you know, really what the business is about and do as much studying as about it so that you can, because to be honest with you, there's a lot of people who would like to do what I do. Um, and I know that, you know, so I have to work my butt off in order to be able to make sure that, you know, I can continue doing what I'm doing. So, uh, you know, take some chances and, and but make uh, informed decisions, make informed decisions. Exactly right. I want to say thank you to everyone for listening and for our special guest who was able to join us this week. The Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at cogercenterforthearts.com, the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit garnetmedia.org.